Hello, friends, and welcome to the Mr. Maxwell Podcast. Do I really need to say that every time? I feel like you already know because you've clicked play. All right, irrelevant observation. Moving on. I once had a friend ask me, why do people automatically assume the worst in certain situations? Uh, For example, one time I saw an ambulance go into a friend's neighborhood, and I immediately assumed my friend was in trouble. Sometimes when I ask my friends how they're doing and they say I'm fine, I assume they're lying and something is wrong. So we're going to be talking today about that, about assuming the worst and why our thoughts might take a dark turn when events go south. I do want to give a trigger warning. There will be some references to... um, to suicide in this episode, so I just wanted to kind of give you a heads up that's going to be referenced to suicide and drug overdoses, so if that is something that would be disturbing to you, you might want to skip this episode. Alright, so I think that assuming the worst is a defense mechanism. After all, historically, humans have had to protect themselves from all kinds of threats, Some they understood, and some they didn't. After all, it didn't take much to kill you back before modern medicine. A poisoned plant that would cause an uncomfortable ER visit today would possibly mean death for you. Losing your leg often meant losing your life. Or, if you survived it, then you'd at least lose your social standing, which depended on the culture which, depending on the culture, was often the same thing. We feared anyone who was not part of our tribe because strangers often carried diseases we were not immune to, or were possibly part of another tribe or people group competing for the same scarce resources. It kind of makes you think of stories, the stories told by the dad in that movie, The Crudes. Uh, Like, every mishap, every illness, every problem, really, every story he told ended in death. He was afraid of everything new, every idea, curiosity was a killer in his mind. And, yes, I was was going to start modern commentary with that, but we're just going to keep going. (laughs) But, yeah, so if you look back, you know, historically... It different was dangerous sometimes and the unknown was deadly and then you look at you know say late 1800s early 1900s and it was the fear was socially driven in a lot of ways you know during World War II Um, Japanese Americans and German Americans were feared and discriminated against because Americans were afraid that the threat of Japan and Germany was going to extend onto our shores beyond the attack at Pearl Harbor. And so there was a lot of fear and assuming the worst and desire to protect themselves. Then you look at people trying to protect their way of life socially Um, Almost every religion, recorded religion in its early stages, experienced persecution from those who were afraid of 
that new religion, that new religious sect, those group of people. Um, the early Christians were persecuted, the early Muslims were persecuted, the early Mormons were persecuted, and probably many more that I'm not aware of. Uh, you look at the history of African Americans a- after the end of slavery, where there were decades, if not longer, of persecution and fear the that they lived under. I'm actually reading a book written by a um, musician, producer, Quincy Jones, and he was telling stories about traveling with the band in the 50s and how they had to hire a white driver because there was so, otherwise they wouldn't be able to eat in certain towns. You know, the white driver would have to go in and order the food and bring it out to them. And he spent a night in a funeral home because there weren't any hotels for people of color. And so you can imagine, you know, if you live living under that, growing up in that kind of environment, you're going to assume the worst and anything that remotely looks like persecution or discrimination shows up again that's, you know, you're kind of almost trained, if you will, to react to that in that way. You think about how members of the LGBTQ plus community were treated during the 50s or earlier, where to come out of the closet was a death sentence, depending on where you lived. And again, there are many other intersectionalities that I'm not thinking of, This is not all conclusive. I was just trying to think of a few examples where history kind of gave the reason for this fear. Um, If you have somebody who, you know, maybe you were a child and every time you were yourself, because maybe you were, I don't know, neurodivergent and, you know, maybe you're an autistic child, um, a child with bipolar, child schizophrenia, you name it, and anytime you were authentically yourself, quirks and all, if your friends abandoned you, then that would teach you that being yourself is a great way to be alone. So you're going to assume that authenticity means social isolation, and so you're going to always mask and pretend to be whatever you need to be just so that you can have quote-unquote friends. And fast forward to today, while many of the things that threaten our lives are no longer an issue, we often hold on to the same caution. In our desire to be ready for anything, we often focus on being ready for every negative thing, rather than being ready for good things to show up in our lives. For example, we don't leave our doors unlocked in case a stranger wants to bring us a present in the middle of the night. We lock our doors in case a stranger wants to take our things. We memorize the number 911 so we can dial it if we or a loved one are in danger. But we don't have a special phone number to call in case something awesome happens to us. You know, if something amazing happens, there isn't, oh, call some other number, you know, to order a celebration. Which would kind of be cool, wouldn't it? I mean, we have you know, this whole department that 
different departments that exist in case you're injured or your house catches fire or someone harms you. But we don't have anything, we don't have a government department set up for celebrating things. So it's kind of no wonder that people are mostly scared and angry because our tax dollars mostly go to fund the sources of our fear and anger. We don't really have anything, we don't really all gather together to support joy. I mean, I guess you could say we have our holidays, but those aren't like individual. You know what I mean? They're not spontaneous events. That would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Something that like functions where you would call it like you would call the police or whatever, but they would come over and celebrate with you and rejoice with you for a few minutes. Take down your statement, put it in the paper, keep a record of all the good things that happen in our country. I think that, I don't know, maybe I'm being naive here, but I can't help but wonder if we wouldn't have a more positive outlook on life if we heard more of the good things that happen in the world, in our city, and in our nation. But it seems like we mostly focus on the terrible things. And again, good reason, the terrible things could kill us or, you know, injure us or put our way of life in danger, which... Never mind. <laughs> Alright, sorry, I got totally off off track. Um, at school, and this one is, is very real for me as an educator. At school, we practice what to do in case of fire, a tornado, earthquake, active shooter, choking incident, or student injury. We don't often practice how to throw a party at a moment's notice to celebrate life. And yes, we do celebrate things at school. We definitely do, but I don't know that we really make, you know, party throwing part of a child's curriculum. We don't actively teach them how to create an impromptu celebration. Though some teachers do. I I say that out loud and I realize I'm wrong. There are some teachers out there who are very good at teaching their children, their students, how to celebrate. So props to you teachers out there who are doing that. You're doing awesome work. Our modern positivity culture also plays a part of this, at least in my opinion. Depending on who you follow on social media, it can look like everyone has their lives together. So many people post pictures or images about the highlights of their lives, but not the daily struggle. For some of us, we begin to think that people will only like us if we look successful and happy that no one wants to hear about our problems. So when people ask about how we're doing, we lie. We lie about how we're really doing. And then that can cause us to suspect that other people are doing so as well. It causes us to assume the worst when we see somebody with a beautifully curated Instagram feed. Oh, they probably have a terrible life, right? Because the lack of authenticity causes us to assume that there's darkness that's being hidden. Another factor could possibly be things like celebrity suicides and overdoses. People, the same people who seem to have it all, can sometimes turn out to have been miserable and depressed. These stories can create concern that some of the people in our lives are also hiding struggles that they do not share with the world. 
So when your friend says they're fine, the part of you that cares about them worries this might not be true. It could also be that you are able to tell when their patterns of behavior are off, indicating that they're not fine, only to have them tell you that they are. And I've definitely had that happen where maybe I was aware of something that a friend was struggling with, and then I see them and I ask them how they're doing, like, oh, I'm good, I'm good, things are good, and I know for a fact that they're not, but I don't want to insult them or embarrass them by letting them know that I do know what's really going on in their lives. Um, And so I've always been conflicted in those moments. Like, what's the right thing to do? Like, do I tell the friend, hey, no, I know you're not okay. I know XYZ is happening. What's going on? Tell me about it, you know? Or, you know, do I let them enjoy the illusion? Maybe they don't want to talk about it right then. Maybe they want to just temporarily escape that situation and you know, for an evening, not discuss it. And so like, what's the greater gift? Letting them escape from that for a moment and be that escape for them or, you know, make them talk about it and help them. I don't, I don't really know what to do. So for the moment, I just take people, I try to let people be at face value unless it's like where I, I, unless I believe it truly is a dangerous situation. Otherwise I just let them have have the illusion for the moment. Though I don't always know that's the right thing to do. When life is only about survival, it can be hard to fixate on anything other than what might be a threat to that survival. And living in survival can be anything. It can be economic. If you're not quite making enough money to make ends meet, then you're living in survival mode. You are just worried about getting your basic needs met all the time. And it's hard to lift your eyes above that, right? I mean, you're worried about getting the bills paid and rent being paid, or maybe it's just your health. Like, you know, I'm, while I'm improving, but I've been dealing with, you know, Well, I've had chronic health issues for quite a while, but the last six years, it's actually affected my ability to live my life. And there were days where it was hard to think of anything else other than just getting to the end of the day when I could go to bed and rest and sleep and in my sleep, you know, not be in pain or not be lightheaded or whatever it was I was dealing with in the moment. So that, so that was my focus. It was hard to focus on anything other than what might threaten my survival in that time. But, and this is, I, I, this isn't prescriptive. This doesn't work for everyone, but possibly, it's a better way to say it, possibly, maybe, if you find a reason for living beyond survival, there's a chance that you'll begin to see more of the good things that exist around you. And I hesitate to say that one because I don't want to make it sound like I'm giving you some overly simplistic 
saying, you know, just be positive and you'll see positive things, <laughs> right? It's not always the case because it depends on what's going on in your life personally. There are certain circumstances where you don't need to focus on the positive. You really, you need to focus on the negative. I mean, for an extreme example, if your house is on fire, that is not the time to sit in the middle of the burning building and count your blessings. You need to focus on finding a safe route out. You need to know where the dangerous areas of the house are so you can get out safely and help your loved ones get out safely. Like that is it. That is all that is happening right then, right? And there are moments in life where you do have to have that kind of narrow focus where you're just, you've got to get through this. But if that's your every day, that can wear on you. It can break you. And for those ongoing crises, and again, I can only speak to my own personal life, but for me, living in an ongoing crisis, it was important for me to find things that brought joy, even if it was just a little five minutes or 10 minutes every day to break up that pattern of fixating on the negative. And again, I, I know this doesn't work for everybody. Um, I, I, I apologize if I came off that way in any way. Anyway, I know this one was a bit of a ramble. I don't even know if this even answers the question. But I hope there was something of value in the last 17 minutes of me taking up space. Uh, if you're still listening, thank you. Um, thank you for sitting with me and listening to me as I talk about different topics. And sometimes, to be honest, I'm working through them myself. And even if I write out the script of what I want to say, other thoughts pop in and my mind wanders. And yeah, <laughs> um, but I do love discussing things like this. I did want to say, um, I would love it if, if there were things you wanted to hear me talk about or ask or ask me to, I wouldn't say give advice. Um, I'm not a guru or anything. I am a 41 year old autistic adult who is a teacher and has a wife and children and I have learned things mostly through trial and error <laughs> but whatever wisdom I have been that's been given to me I would be happy to pass along so feel free to find me on Instagram or TikTok or Twitter at Mr. Underscore Maxwell 16 and send me a message, send me some questions I, that I or things you'd like to hear me talk about on the podcast. All right, friends, for now, it is time for your next adventure. I'll miss you. Cheers. Thank you, friends, for listening to the Mr. Maxwell Podcast. If you'd like to see what else I am up to, you can find me on Twitter 
TikTok, and Instagram, all at Mr. Underscore Maxwell 16. Please, I'd love to hear from you. Um, let me know what you think of the podcast. What do you think of? Let me know if there are any other things you'd like me to talk about. All right, friends, hope you have a wonderful day.